Good morning, church. It's great to be with you today. Uh, today we're continuing our series on the church, and we're looking at a very important question. Who leads the church? Now, obviously, if you're a Christian, we believe as Christians that God leads his church. The church is God's church. He is the one who leads it. But today we're looking at, from a human perspective, who are the people that God has entrusted with the responsibility of leading his church? And I know questions of leadership and authority, they're very, very difficult questions to, to talk about in our world because anyone who's seen authority has seen it misused and abused. But the church needs human leadership. No group in the world can get anything important done without clear leadership. There's an author named Moises Name. He wrote a book a few years ago called The End of Power. And in the book, he describes a leaderless world as a world where decisions are not taken, where they're taken too late, or where they're watered down to the point of ineffectiveness. And we've been looking for the past several weeks at what God calls us to do and be as the church. And for the church to be indecisive or ineffective would severely damage our ability to live as the body of Christ and be light in the world like God calls us to be. And in light of that, God has appointed certain people to do the role of leading the church. And he's called the rest of us to respond to that, that group's leadership in certain ways. So today we're going to look at the leadership structure that God put in place in the church. And we're going to see how he calls all of us to relate to one another in light of that leadership structure. And we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-7 through 7, as we discuss this. And what we're going to see is that elders are the human leaders appointed by God to lead his church. We'll look at instructions for elders, instructions for the rest of the church, and instructions for everyone. But before we start looking at the passage, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you understand how the world works and that you, in your word, have provided leadership for the church so that we can be effective and we can make a difference in the world like you call us to do. So I pray that you would help us to be obedient to you and to love you more through this time of learning about the leadership structures you've put in place for the church. I pray that you would speak to us through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start out by looking at instructions for elders. And in today's passage, Peter starts out with a command for the elders in the church. And the command is, right at the start of verse 2, shepherd the flock of God. Now before we start looking at how elders are to shepherd the flock, I want you to see a few things here. First, elders in verse 1 is plural. When the New Testament speaks of elders in the church, it always assumes that there's going to be more than one of them. Due to our sinful nature as human beings, God has put a safeguard in place to prevent any individual from having sole power in a congregation by saying he wants multiple elders in the church. It's not a one-man job to be an elder. Second, these instructions specifically are for elders, but they're written in a letter to the whole church. That means Peter wants the whole church to be aware of the roles and responsibilities of elders. Now, why would he want this? Well, a few reasons. One, he wants people to be able to hold elders accountable to doing their job properly. 
Two, he wants people in the church to be able to support and encourage the elders in their role. And three, he wants people to respond properly to the elders as they do their role. And what that means is even if you're not an elder, it's important for you to listen to the instructions for the elders because they're written for you to hear and read. Third, yes, elders have authority in the church, but even from the start, there's a limit built into their authority. Like, yes, God calls elders to lead in the church, but if you look at verse 2, the people they're called to lead is called the flock of God. See, the church doesn't belong to the elders. Elders are entrusted representatives. The church belongs to Jesus, and elders represent him, which puts a bunch of limits on the ways elders are to use their authority, as we'll see moving forward. And then fourth, the terms elder, pastor, overseer, and bishop, they're all used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. So in our world, we tend to think of these titles as referring to different roles, but in the Bible, they were just different ways of describing the same role or the same person. So at the bridge, our elders are Les, Arnell, and me. And Les and I sometimes will talk about stuff going on in the church, and he'll make the comment, well, you're the pastor, I'm just an elder. And I think that's how people in our world typically think about pastors and elders. Pastors are paid people who work at the church. Elders are volunteers who just serve at the church. And if your church has bishops, they oversee or supervise several pastors. But biblically, seeing these things as different roles is wrong. They're different elements of the same role. And you can see this in today's passage. So in verse 1, Peter says he's speaking to the elders. But then in verse 2, he tells the elders to shepherd the flock of God. Now, shepherding is what a pastor does. Uh, shepherd and pastor, they're, they're, they go together. So Peter, by calling the elders to shepherd the flock, is actually saying elders are pastors. And then in verse 2, he calls the elders to exercise oversight. This word oversight is where we get the word bishop from. So Peter is saying that elders also do the role of bishops. So what does this mean? It means an elder is a shepherd, is a pastor, is an overseer, is a bishop. They're all the same person. So in light of this, when Les says, you're the pastor, I'm just an elder, you know what I tell him? I tell him, you're a pastor too. Biblically, Les and Arnell are pastors at the bridge, just like I am. And, and you're welcome to start calling them Pastor Les and Pastor Arnell if, if you'd like to. The only difference between them and me, biblically, is that since I get my paycheck from the church, I don't have to work at another job, which means I have more time to commit to focusing on church-related stuff. But biblically, the two of them are pastors just as much as I am, and I am an elder just like they are. So with all of that being noted, let's look more closely at the command for elders to shepherd the flock of God. Now I want to ask a question. What do shepherds do? Because if Peter's main command to the elders is to shepherd the flock of God, then maybe we can understand what a, an elder or a pastor is supposed to be doing better if we think of the elder or pastor's job in terms of actual shepherds who look after sheep. So I took some time this week to brainstorm and came up with at least five ways that the role of shepherds parallels the role of pastors or elders. First, shepherds know their flock. Shepherds have 
personal relationships with their sheep. I read an article this week um, about shepherds, and the person writing the article said, all shepherds write about their sheep in something called a flock book. A flock book is a record of the health and breeding pedigrees of the individual animals. And the person said the books aren't consulted that regularly though. Experienced shepherds will carry most of this information in their heads. It gives shepherds the ability to read a flock. With a glance, they can assess the hundreds of tiny genetic variations on view and compute how they might mix with and improve the breed. They can see the history, the work, the choices that made these sheep the way they are. And as I read that, I thought to myself, man, that's my goal for being a pastor, to get to know my congregation that well. To be able to look at each individual in the congregation and see the history and the work and the choices that made that person who they are. And then to see how bringing different individuals together in different ways can help them actually grow and make the church stronger. And I was really challenged. I have a long way to go before I reach the point of being able to do that with our congregation. But knowing the flock is a key part of the role of a shepherd, and it's something elders need to do if we're going to shepherd the flock of God well. Second, shepherds lead their flock. They show the flock where to go. And we can see this in today's passage when Peter calls in verse 3 for elders to be examples to the flock. Elders are to set an example of how to live a godly life so the rest of the congregation can follow their lead. Shepherds lead the flock. Elders lead the congregation. Third, shepherds feed the flock. So with sheep, you bring them to a place where there's grass and they can graze and eat and be fed. In the church, the primary way we feed the congregation is through teaching the Bible, teaching God's word. And this teaching can come in a variety of formats. It comes from the pulpit. That's why preaching is such a big part of what we do as a church, because that's when we have everyone together and we're able to teach God's word to everyone at once. But it also happens in other places. So it can happen in small group Bible studies. So Les and Arnell don't preach as often as I do, but they're both involved in leading community groups here at the bridge, and they teach God's word in those groups. Teaching also happens in one-on-one conversations as elders remind you about God's truth and help you apply it to your life. Shepherds feed the sheep. Fourth, shepherds protect the flock. So if you think about the story of David and Goliath, David's getting ready to go fight, and King Saul sees him and he's like, you're too small to go fight. And do you remember how David responds? He says, look, as a shepherd, I killed bears and lions that were trying to attack my flock. That's part of the job of a shepherd. Shepherds step between danger and their sheep to keep their sheep safe. Shepherds protect the flock. So what does that look like in the church? Well, elders guard against false teaching. The Bible repeatedly warns about the dangers of false teaching to the health of the church. And elders are called to watch out for false teachers and keep them from having a platform within the congregation. Elders also protect the flock by holding the congregation accountable to live godly lives. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says that when God's people stop living in godly ways, we can start to bite and devour one another. If elders are responsible for protecting the flock, That means stepping in when people in the congregation start biting and devouring one another in order to stop that behavior. And we're not going to talk too much about what that looks like or how how they do that right now because that's next week's sermon. Um, But shepherds 
protect the sheep. And then fifth, shepherds are committed to the flock. There's a shepherd in the UK named James Rebanks, and he wrote a book called The Shepherd's Life. And in the book, he tells about what it's like being a shepherd in today's world. He tells how one day as a kid, he was working with his grandfather, and some tourists were driving by, they pulled up next to them in their car, and took pictures of him and his grandfather working together on the farm. And he said that he and his grandfather both knew there only needed to be a little bit of bad weather, and the tourists would be gone to leave us to get on with stuff that mattered. And there was an article commenting on this incident that said, quote, shepherds must inhabit the landscape in all weathers. They've never had the luxury of going inside or driving away if the weather turns. Think about that. Tourists come and go, but shepherds stay with the sheep through good times and bad. When the weather gets bad, shepherds keep doing the stuff that matters. And elders are, committed, are called to be committed to the congregation in this way. Now, this doesn't mean like if an elder's job transfers them somewhere else, they're, they're banned from ever moving away. But it means elders stick it out when things get hard. Elders don't just turn and leave town because they have a conflict or because someone hurts their feelings. Elders are called to have a commitment to the congregation that sticks with them even when things are hard. So the job of an elder, like the job of a shepherd, it's not an easy one. It is a high and difficult calling. And as anyone who's ever seen a leader in action knows, there are a lot of ways this can go wrong. And Peter warns against three of them in this passage. He says, first, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. He says, this can go wrong if elders are forced into the role. I'm sure you can imagine a scenario where maybe there's no one else in the church available to be an elder. And there's one person, people keep coming to them saying, will you do it? Will you do it? Will you do it? And they say, no, no, no. But eventually they just feel this peer pressure and they feel like they're being forced into it. And so they say, fine, I'll do it. Peter says, if someone's in that position, they should not be serving as an elder. Instead of being forced into the role, elders should serve willingly. They should be glad to do it. And having elders who are serving willingly protects them and the congregation. The second way eldership can go wrong is if elders see their role as a means of shameful gain, he says in verse 2. And using positions of power for, shame, for shameful gain, it's very common in today's world. Like people get into positions of power and then they use that position to embezzle money or to take bribes because they have the power to do it. Or maybe they constantly increase their own salary while making life harder and harder for the people underneath them. And Peter says this attitude should never be present in elders. Instead, he calls for elders to lead eagerly. Now, that doesn't mean it's wrong to ever get paid for doing pastoral work. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 makes it clear that it's good to pay elders and pastors who do their jobs well. But what Peter's saying here is that an elder's primary motivation for doing their job should not be the money. It should be the opportunity to serve. They should do it eagerly. And then the third way this can go wrong is when elders domineer over those in their charge and abuse their power. You know, it's so easy for people in positions of authority to think of themselves as the boss and to think everyone else is simply here to do my will. And when that happens, it leads to anger, to impatience, to frustration, and more in both the leaders and in those that are being led. 
And in contrast to this domineering spirit, Peter calls the elders to be an example to the flock, which doesn't mean elders need to be perfect, but it means that elders should have reached a point in their Christian maturity where you'd feel comfortable pointing to them and saying, look, if everyone in our church followed Jesus as faithfully as this person does, we'd be a pretty healthy church. That's what it means for elders to be an example to the congregation. And that's why when Paul lists out the requirements for what to look for in potential elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, the vast majority of the requirements that he lists out are just marks of Christian maturity. Things like having self-control, not being a drunkard, not being violent, not always looking to get into fights, not a lover of money, a guy, if he's married, who's faithful to his wife, a good father, hospitable, having a good reputation in the community. The qualifications for elders in these passages mean when you're looking for elders, you look for people who are already living as examples for the flock. And then when you cross-reference that with this verse, it means once they become elders, you just hold them accountable to keep living that way. You don't expect a total transformation in their lifestyle once they become an elder. You look for people already doing these things and then just hold them accountable to keep doing it because there's so much temptation to start treating people differently due to the power that comes with being an elder. So those are the ways that the authority of elders can go wrong and what Peter says to do as an antidote to them. And remember, as we talk about elders and their leadership role in the church, Jesus is the chief shepherd. We see that in verse four. Jesus is the chief shepherd. The ultimate authority in the church belongs to Jesus not to the elders or any other human authority. And our authority as elders, it's a delegated authority. We will be held accountable someday for how we use it. Hebrews 13, 17 says, one day we will have to stand before God and give an account for how we led the church. And Peter says here, if we do our jobs well, we'll receive an unfading crown of glory, which is an awesome and great reward. But being an elder, it's a big job with a lot of responsibility, but it comes with a big reward for those who do it faithfully. So that's the instructions for elders. What about the rest of the church? Well, let's look at the instructions for the rest of the church. It's much shorter and simpler. Five words in verse five, be subject to the elders. Now I know in our society, we cringe, we just like physically feel a reaction at the idea of having to submit to authority. And we especially distrust any authority that stands up there and says, you need to submit to me. I, as an elder, feel really uncomfortable telling the rest of you that this says submit to the elders, right? But realize a few things here. First, this call to submit, it's not something we as elders are giving to you. It's something God is giving to you. The only reason I'm willing to say that the rest of the church needs to submit to the elders is because God's word says it, and I trust God's word more than I trust myself. Second, realize the elders are not the final authority. Jesus is. Yes, as a general rule, Peter says to have a heart attitude of submission towards the elders, but if the elders are not doing their roles in line with what the Bible says to do, there is room to come to the elders and address that. If we as elders are calling you to do things that are sinful, you should oppose us following the biblical guidelines, which again, we'll discuss next week. 
And third, realize elders are here for your good. When elders do their job properly, they're guarding and supporting and equipping you, not domineering you. And to fight against the elders or resist them, their leadership as your default mode is actually to harm yourself. And that doesn't mean subjecting yourself to the elders is always going to be comfortable or convenient or easy, but hopefully this reminder can encourage you to endure through it in times where it's less comfortable or less easy. I also realize this command in verse 5, it's specifically worded as, as being given to the younger people in the congregation. And maybe you're thinking, I'm older than Eric. Come on, I'm, I'm older than at least one of our elders. Does that mean I'm exempt from this? And the answer is no. See, this is written specifically to the younger people in the congregation because the younger people are the ones most likely to have rebellious and unsubmissive hearts. The thought process is something along the lines of, you know, if even those with the strongest natural tendency to rebel are called to be subject to the elders, how much more should those who are more mature submit to the leadership that God has placed in their lives for their good? And I realize there are some of you who in many areas have more wisdom than the elders. There are some of you who in many, many areas have more life experience than the elders. And sometimes the things we're going to ask you submit, to submit to aren't going to be the best things possible. I realize that. Because you know what? We as elders are limited, sinful human beings who sometimes make mistakes and or act sinfully ourselves. But in submitting to broken and sinful authority that God has placed in your life, you know what you're doing? You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. See, the same verb used in this verse to say, be subject to the elders, it's used in Luke 2.51, where it says that Jesus was submissive to his sinful human parents, Mary and Joseph. The perfect, all-wise creator of the universe subjected himself to sinful, broken, limited human parents. And that submission was part of a wider lifestyle of submission to his heavenly father. And you want to know what the end result of Jesus' life of submission was? He got murdered. It's a great path to be on, right? <laughs> Submitting to broken authority and then getting murdered. No, but that wasn't the end of Jesus' story. God raised him from the dead and exalted him. And the Bible tells us again and again and again, the pattern for the Christian life follows the pattern of the life of Jesus. First, we lower ourselves. We do things like submitting to the flawed, broken, sinful authority that God places in our lives. And then God himself exalts us. So no, submission to the elders, it's not always going to be easy. We're not always going to tell you <laughs> the best things to do. But because God is the judge who will make all things right, it will always, always, always be worth it in the long run. So on a practical level, what does that look like? What does it look like to submit to the elders? And I have a few practical ideas of, of what this can look like. First, really simple, listen to and obey our teaching. You know, we put in work to study and learn God's word so we can teach others in the church what God wants us to be and to do. And the most simple way to be subject to the elders is to just listen to what we say and obey God's word when we teach it. Second, you can submit to the elders or be subject to the elders by following our way of life. 
Think about it. In verse 3, Peter says that elders are to be examples to the flock. And that carries an assumption with it that the flock is going to be seeing that example and following that example. And it's really hard to follow an example from far away. So get to know us. You know, if we invite you to meet up, find a time when you're free and meet with us. Even if it's a couple weeks away, just say, I'm I'm busy for the next couple weeks, but here's a day I'm free. I'd love to meet up. Or when we give you a call or send you a message to see how you're doing, answer honestly. Don't just say, I'm all good, because that's what you expect us to want to hear. Tell us what's going on in your life. And if you feel like it's been too long since we checked in on you, send us a message. Hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. What's going on? And then when you interact with us, take time to learn more about us so that you can actually see what type of an example we're setting for the church. Ask us personal questions about ourselves, about our marriages, about our parenting. Even if you think it might make us uncomfortable, that's okay because that's where who we truly are comes out. That's where you actually get to see who we are below the surface so you can follow the example of who we truly are and not just an image that seems to be projected for everyone around to see looking good. And let me warn you beforehand, when you do this, we're not always going to have it perfect. But part of a sinful human being acting as an example to another sinful human being is modeling repentance and demonstrating the fact that we constantly, constantly need Jesus to be our savior. And so there are going to be times where you're going to say we don't have it all together, but hopefully in those times we're telling you, I don't have it all together, but Jesus is still my perfect savior. And this is just more evidence that I need him and that he is sufficient where I am not. So follow our example. Third, identify yourself to us and stay visible. Like think about it. A shepherd cannot lead their flock effectively if they don't know who the flock is. And so, I mean, if you look at verse two, When he says shepherd the flock of God, he doesn't just say shepherd the flock of God. He says shepherd the flock of God that is among you. There's there's some sort of barrier here that that God doesn't expect Les and Arnell and me to shepherd the flock of God that's at Island ECC or at the Vine. We are responsible to shepherd the flock of God at the Bridge Church. And for the elders at any given church to do their role properly, they need a clear way of distinguishing who is part of their flock. At the bridge, one of the primary ways we do that is through membership. Membership is how you say, yes, I am part of this congregation. So if you would say, yes, the bridge is my home church. Our elders are the ones that I want to be subject to out of the elders at all the different churches I could be subject to. Then please join us as a member so we can know that that's the case. We're going to have a membership class coming up soon. Get in touch with me. I'd love to tell you how you can be a part of that. But in order to be subject to the elders like we're commanded to here, it's important for the elders to know that you're one of the people that they're responsible for leaving, for leading, sorry. And also it's really hard for elders to shepherd people when the elders don't know what's going on in your lives. So stay visible to the elders. Join us for church services on Sunday so we can see you regularly and catch up with you. Let us know about things that are happening in your life so we can be praying for you and supporting you as you go through it. If every time we say, how are you doing? You say, I'm fine, but you're losing your job, your marriage is in trouble, your kids are rebelling. We can't shepherd you properly if we don't know the things that are happening. So I encourage you, be honest with us, be visible to us. Let us know what's going on in your life. 
so that we can be involved in the way that God calls us to be involved. The fourth thing is don't be passive. Someone explained it to me this way this week. They said, you know, it takes two hands to clap. The elders are one hand, the congregation is the other hand. And if the elder hand is waving and swinging and trying to do everything they can to clap, and the other hand is unengaged or passive, the church won't be as effective as it's supposed to be. There won't be a clap. And I think in today's world, with so much busyness, so many distractions, passivity is actually often a bigger barrier to properly following the leadership of the elders than outright rebellion is. And especially in a city like Hong Kong, where so many of us are here short term, we plan to head home, move back in a couple of years, it can be easy to justify passivity because we don't want to get too engaged in a place that we're not going to be long term. But I urge you to reject the temptation to be passive. Be engaged so that we can clap properly like we're supposed to. And so I encourage you to examine yourself and think through where are the places where I fail to be subject to the elders God has given me for my good because I'm too passive. And then one other really practical idea on how to be subject to the elders. Pray for us. I mean, think about it. If you're called to submit to our leadership, you have a vested interest in us leading the church well. Because the better we lead, the more you're going to benefit from submitting to our leadership. So pray that God would give the elders wisdom and practical skill in leading the church so that you can be blessed through our leadership. Because we are flawed. We are sinful, we are imperfect, we are broken, and we need all the help we can get to do this job well. We would love your prayers, and the more you pray for us, the easier it's going to be for us to lead the church and for you to submit and for all of us to benefit through that process. So God calls elders to lead. He calls the rest of the church to submit to the elders' leadership. But then today's passage closes with a command for everyone in the church. So let's look at the instructions for everyone. And this comes from the second half of verse 5, where Peter says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Now we all know from painful experiences with authority in the past that all human relationships involving authority and submission are just a powder keg waiting to explode in conflict. There's a reason the stereotypical image of a teen interacting with their parent involves lots of screaming and slamming doors. And how do we avoid that happening in the church? Well, the answer is humility. And I know humility is countercultural to us. Our world tells us to be proud, proud of who we are, proud of what we do, have high self-esteem. And Peter tells us in verse 5, God opposes the proud. Pride divides us from one another, puts us in opposition to one another, and in opposition to what God wants for the church. And so God opposes our pride. But humility puts us in a place where we can receive God's blessings. And Peter says in verse 7 that one of the main ways that we humble ourselves, this might seem weird in the context of this conversation, but he says it's by casting our anxieties on him. Which seems weird, right? Like how is bringing our anxiety to God a sign of humility? Isn't humility about our interactions with one another. But think about why we often don't do that. We often fail to bring our anxieties to God because we feel sufficient to deal with them ourselves. We're proud. In a sense, we believe we're competent to be our own gods. But when we are trying to act as our own gods, we actually cut ourselves off 
from letting God be God and do God things in our lives. Humility is the heart attitude that says, God is God, I am not. And when we can have that attitude in our relationship with God, we can also have that attitude in our relationships with one another. Since God is God and I'm not, I can seek the good of others and not just look out for myself because I know God is looking out for me. That's so much better than me looking out for myself, right? And notice, Peter calls all of us to clothe ourselves in humility. It's not just the elders who are called to be humble. It's not just the rest of the church who's called to be humble. Everyone is called to be humble. Elders need humility because without humility, our leadership will become abusive. The rest of the church needs humility because without humility, we will fight against and resist the authority that God has put in our lives for our good. Trying to run a church without humility is like trying to run a car without oil. The moving parts are going to bounce off each other and damage one another and break the vehicle and you're not going to get anywhere. Just as oil keeps a car running smoothly, humility keeps a church running smoothly. And obeying by humbling ourselves towards one another puts us in a place where God can exalt us. That's what, that's what he says in verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And how can we trust that he'll do this? Because he already did it for Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us about how Jesus humbled himself by becoming human and suffering death on the cross for our sins. But humility and death was not the end of the story for him. God raised him up and gave him the name that's above every name. Jesus, our chief shepherd. He's the ultimate example of humility, yes, but he's also the ultimate guarantee that if we humble ourselves, our humility and suffering will not be the end of the story. If we humble ourselves, God himself will exalt us. And that hopefully motivates elders to humble themselves in how they use their authority so that they can use it to serve and love the church and seek the church's good rather than just their own advancement. And it can humble the rest of the church to submit to the elders' authority, even when that authority is not perfect and broken. God loves his church. And because he loves his church, he appointed human leaders, elders, to oversee the church until Jesus comes again. And yes, that can cause tension and difficulty, especially since the elders ourselves are sinful and need to be shepherded ourselves. But the elders' leadership is instituted by God for the good of the church. And that's why God calls us to submit to the elders' authority and why he calls all of us, elders and non-elders, to have an attitude of humility that places the good of one another over our own preferences and desires. So if we want to be the church God calls us to be, this is how he calls us to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. It's so much greater than our wisdom. Thank you that you love your church, that you're good to your church, that you seek the good of the church, we pray that you would give us a heart that loves your church, that seeks the good of the church, that humbles ourselves under your leadership. God, be honored through the way that we live our lives, through the way that we interact with one another, through the way that we interact with the authority you place in our lives. Let us be salt and light for you. In Jesus' name, amen.